Malon Ben Mir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Thanasi Cabanas, author, journalist, and senior fellow at the Century Foundation, where he specializes in the Middle East and U.S. foreign policy. You can find his full bio on the page for this episode. Today's episode discusses the role of Hezbollah in Syria, its relationship with Iran, and how serious of a threat it actually poses to Israel. Enjoy. And I know you've been, you just came back from Lebanon, obviously, and um, um, I'd love to, needless to say, to hear what your take is uh, some of the issues related to Lebanon. Uh, let's perhaps begin with, in the wake of the more or less coming to the conclusion to the civil war, which is not quite there yet in Syria, how is the, from your perspective, the relationship is developing and evolving between Iran and Hezbollah, and to and, and Hezbollah's particular place and influence in Lebanese uh, in, in Lebanon at this point? Hezbollah's emerged from the war in Syria much stronger than it was in, in many ways. And also it's it's really a transformed organization. If we think back, it wasn't that long ago when the war started. It was uh, yeah. uh, 2011. Uh, and at that point, Hezbollah was already very dominant within Lebanese politics. It had reached its apogee in uh, post-2006 war rebuilding. Uh, and it had lost a fair amount of luster uh, in the aftermath of the 2006 war because it had sort of revealed itself as a, a parochial sectarian organization. Its pretenses of pan-Arab uh, unifying resistance leadership were, had been belied by its local uh, interests. And that's where it found itself in 2011 by fully uh, entering the war on the side of the regime and really gambling. And, you know, again, we have to remember uh, the, the outcome of the Syrian civil war was by no means foreordained. And there was many years where it seemed that the regime was going to collapse. That's right. Uh, yes, yeah. and, and Hezbollah and Iran uh, went in uh, full-throated on the side of the Assad regime. Uh, they fought what looked like a losing battle. Uh, and uh, in the end, they've emerged, it, it seems, victorious. Uh, so they get a fair amount of, of political windfall from this. But more importantly, from uh, my uh, vantage point as an analyst is what uh, what they have been able to build uh, institutionally, uh, uh, militarily, and politically uh, as a result of, of their participation in the war. And, and, I'll, and I'll just give you the top lines, and if you want to talk more about any of them, we can. Uh, but one, they, they are now a, uh, it's a fully mature transnational military organization with uh, deployable infantry with training capacity, uh, uh, with the ability to, to uh, intervene in multiple theaters uh, and on multiple levels, and also to have interoperability with uh, full conventional, full-fledged conventional militaries. Uh, politically, uh, they've gone from uh, being uh, the sort of first among equals in the Lebanese system uh, to being back in a position of dominance. Yeah, dominance they've, yeah. they've brought Syria yeah. back in uh, mm -hmm. through the front door into Lebanese political life. Uh, they're able to really call the shots in a way that they hadn't been able to for the previous, I'd say, you know, since at least since Syria's withdrawal in 2005. Um, and finally, I think they've found, uh, they, they've regained their 
vigorous ideological footing. Uh, there was a again this period where they looked, uh, you know, because of their uh, contestation inside Lebanon for, for 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 supremacy, they looked like a parochial sectarian organization which had its own interests at heart and not some greater cause. Uh, at the end of this war, they have created a narrative. You know, I, I don't subscribe to this, but the, but the narrative is um, that they are part of a moderate alliance of pluralistic Middle Eastern forces who are willing to stand against uh, a kind of bloodthirsty Islamic extremism. So on the one hand, you have these takfiri uh, fundamentalist uh, nihilists, ISIS, Saudi Arabia, Al Qaeda, uh, and uh, their paymasters, among whom they would they would say are are the United States uh, and uh, Israel and others. Um, and on the other side, you have this uh, modern, tolerant uh, uh, coalition uh, of, of people like the Iranian regime, the Assad regime, Hezbollah, and these are groups that in comparison to the al-Qaeda's of this world, are uh, happy to uh, have minorities in their in their communities. They get along great with Christians. They don't care if you're Sunni or Shia as long as you support their uh, political project. And, you know, the, the, the strength of this narrative is that it's partly true, right? It's not it's not altogether hot air. I mean, this, you know, uh, there, there really is a sort of sectarian and ethnic diversity on the side of the Iranian Hezbollah uh, coalition. Um, and um, there, there are unsavory links between some of these takfiri groups in states like Saudi Arabia or even indirectly uh, the U.S. and Israel. So it, it becomes a effective selling point and it's a new uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a renewal of the old, the old narrative, which was resistance. This is a, a, uh, a sort of, I think, probably more durable and smarter ideological branding. Uh, and they, they trotted this out at the beginning of the Syrian war at a time when it was really improbable um, and unconvincing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to, you know, to be clear, I think this is opportunistic, insincere, and, and you know, largely uh, to the extent that it's true, it's not what, what they what they peddle it as. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, they came up with this line early on. They've stuck with it. Um, and I think now they're seeing that, that it, it reaps uh, dividends for that. Okay. I mean, I fully, um, I think I agree with your, with your analysis. The question today is the theater in, that Hezbollah can operate in is limited, nevertheless. That is um, the extent to which there will be more extremists, uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and others, for the foreseeable future is not as as strong as it used to be. Uh, Iran is under tremendous pressure. Again, it's coming from all sides. <clears throat> uh, to what extent do you think, you know, and then you have you mentioned much Israel. That is one of their main <clears throat> enemies, as far as they are concerned, is also Israel. And to what extent, from, I, from where, I'm, where I'm sitting, I don't see how uh, Hezbollah can, in fact, um, um, control or be able to present a real threat against Israel, given the current circumstances. Now, I speak, I spoke, you know, extensively with the Israelis about Hezbollah, what they think about Hezbollah, and I get the sense what they are saying. You know, we know exactly what Hezbollah is all about. We know that Hezbollah is stronger than ever before. 
We know they have more better weapons and more sophisticated weapons than they have before. But yes, if there's confrontation, we will sustain some losses, but we can basically wipe out much of the organization. Do you buy into that argument? Not the last, the the last assertion. No, I mean the the. the, the I don't mean wind up annihilating, but basically. Well, there, 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 there is a wing of rhetoric and maybe military doctrine that comes out of Israel that uh, remind it reminds me actually a lot of some of the stupider claims of of American coin theorists, where uh, you know the, the people who say like. America was about to win Vietnam if only it had applied a little more force. And so there, so there is an argument that one hears from some quarters in Israel that says, with the right amount of force, Hezbollah would cease to pose a political or military threat. That, I think, isn't true. And, and, and you know, we, we have lots. We, we can get into why I think that. But uh, Israel's not going to be able to eliminate uh, this entire political constituency, nor is it going to be able to eliminate the, the military threat uh, pose now within the the extreme of eliminating it um, and and being uh, you know it, it posing an existential threat. There's a whole lot of gray area. No, no, I um, agree with you. And uh, I don't think they're saying. But what, uh, where, where, I think, where I think that's where I think. I mean, so my take uh, uh, is that you know what what we have actually is effective deterrence has been established. Uh, the you know there is a um, uh, there is a delicate but pretty clear. Uh, military balance of power between Israel and Hezbollah. Uh, the the rhetoric, uh, I mean, for for instance, is Lebanon. Ugh, Hezbollah often engages in rhetoric as well, uh, where they talk about uh, being able to invade and capture Israeli territory in the next war, or uh, you know, the, the, describing the Israeli military as a spider's web, and you know, the the saying that if Dahi is hit, so will Tel Aviv. A lot of this is also bluster, right? But the but well, the actual, I mean, of course. I mean, the, the balance, however, is compelling. I mean, the, the, since two thousand and six, it's been a very quiet border, uh, and I think that's because both parties uh, see w- limits to what they could achieve by force. Oh, and, and okay. You know, since but but also, I think uh, Hezbollah, based on what I know, I'm, I'm, you've, been, you've just been there recently. They also understand that uh, Israel's threshold of casualties is very, very low. That is, even if they are inflicted, and I don't buy necessarily into the notion that it's created a deterrence per se, deterrence against what Israel has no ambition to go to Lebanon or to go to Syria and to conquer any ter- territory and sustain it. So there is, in that sense, the deterrence is, is of no of no really great relevance. Uh, th- th- it is actually highly relevant from the perspective of Lebanon. Okay, you, I- Inside Syria, there have been more than, I think, 100 Israeli bombing raids in the last six years, many of them targeting Hezbollah facilities. They don't do that inside Lebanon. Why is that? Uh, I would s- suggest it's probably because of the deterrent capability that, that Hezbollah has erected. So from a Lebanese perspective, uh, it's actually significant that there aren't direct incursions and direct strikes on Lebanese territory. That is understood uh, to be one of the uh, you know, dividends of, of the deterrent uh, capability. And, and we also see, I mean, Israel has been very different in how it's handled the few occasions where there's been cross-border incidents from Lebanon since 2006. Uh, again, despite the, the rhetoric uh, and the rhetorical undermining of UNIFIL, uh, Israel's very carefully used diplomatic channels and UNIFIL to de-escalate uh, those cross-border incidents uh, inside Lebanon. 
on the contrary, when there have been similar incidents from the Syrian side, when uh, Hezbollah or Hezbollah and other configurations have been active in the Golan and there's been uh, uh, you know, various clashes, in those cases, they have directly used military tools to, to strike, kill, or, or you know, except Except deter. that there is the, the, the Iran, Iran factor here. And as far as Israel is concerned, Iran is uh, whether, I mean, I don't buy uh, what Netanyahu is saying that Iran is a frozen accession threat to Israel. But as far as um, uh, Israeli relations or position vis-a-vis -vis Hezbollah, as far as Iran is concerned, there's a reason why they go to Syria and attack Syrian convoys. Uh, I mean, Iranian convoys going, going to, to, to Lebanon. And as long as Hezbollah does not uh, constitute a threat from Lebanese territory, I mean, an active threat, they are, they are enemies of Israel, needless to say, then there is no reason for the Israelis to concern themselves with going and attacking any kind of fortification belong to Hezbollah. And they make that distinction quite clearly. We do not want to allow Hezbollah to have all the weapons in the world that they want and, allow, and to give Iran a free hand to do whatever it wants to do. Uh, so we're going to maintain that. And that is almost also to show that when it comes to the to Israeli um, decision or willingness to use force, this is also want to make they make sure it's demonstrated clearly that Israel has that outreach that Hezbollah does not have, not will have now or any time in the future. Well, so, and 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 to take it back to your original question, so what what is the larger change that's underway? What is the what are the capabilities of Hezbollah that we're talking about? Um, for, for starters, uh, there are far more far more fighters. In Hezbollah than there were before 2011. Uh, all of them now have the kind of direct combat training that really they never had, right? They've been in, engaged in urban combat, in, in infantry fighting, in uh, combined combined assaults like the one in Aleppo where they're working with poorly trained mercenaries from Afghanistan, medium trained recruits from Iraq. They're working as the sort of lead, uh, uh, not just infantry fighters, but the, the battlefield commanders with a strategic view. And then they have the Iranian and, and Syrian regular army component that's that's leading the, the fight. So they have th this whole new cadre of, of maybe 30 to 50,000 men at arms. Uh, and the second thing uh, they have that's, that's, I think, qualitatively different is long running deployments in uh, foreign theaters, primarily Iraq and Yemen. So in addition to what they're doing in, in Lebanon and their sort of relatively open uh, experience and ongoing experience in Syria, they have these forward deployments uh, in two uh, long running wars. And in the case of Iraq, this is a, a uh, unparalleled training opportunity. I mean, this is a, pl a place that even, at, even in times of peace is a very complicated uh, uh, war. The, th the third thing that, that's happened, and you alluded to it a minute ago in your comments about um, Israel's retaliatory uh, or, or preventive uh, uh, bombing of, of convoys and other facilities in Syria, uh, is a long-running uh, rearmament campaign, which began uh, as an effort to restore what they, the arsenal that exists in 2006 and where it has gone, just based on their public statements, is uh, in trying to establish uh, successfully, it seems, in part, uh, new 
uh, rocket and other capacities. So we've heard uh, we've heard reports of everything from uh, relatively sophisticated land to sea missiles, ground to ground missiles. There's been talk, uh, although this is not something that I've seen in a confirmed uh, uh, manner of of, of anti aircraft. Uh, capacity and it's clear that that is what one thing they are trying to do um and it's also clear that uh that hezbollah now builds facilities and operates in a much wider area than the border area so if you're uh, looking at what kind of hard infrastructure they're building for the next war with israel which is always their central concern is how to well, that's, that's exactly the point you know if israel is central concern and I don't think that they have been, or, the, or now the president are really a significant batch. If there is going to be a serious confrontation, military confrontation between the two, yes, Israel will sustain probably significant losses and casualties, and perhaps some destruction. But you know what you're saying in terms of their their ability to project force in Iraq and, for example, Yemen and elsewhere, that is fine. So if that is their focus. Then, which is not as as comprehensive as an act as as widespread, as you well know, as as far as that goes now. Right, they're not they're not an Iran. Right, not, I mean they are still a, a, yeah. a mid-sized non-state actor uh, from a very uh, okay. small country. So building all this arsenal that they have, if they cannot employ it, deploy it in these other conflicts, oh, to to what end? That is, if their objective is Israel is the ultimate enemy, okay. So they also know that uh, they, if they were to truly challenge Israel seriously, that they do not have a chance of succeeding. So to what end, from your perspective, accumulating all these military equipment, missiles, even anti-air missiles, ground-to-ground missiles, all of that, yes, that would be useful if they were to confront Israel, a lot more than useful being, being in Iraq or being in Yemen. So, so toward toward what end? I mean, this they is, this is why on. they're a problematic and destabilizing actor because they, they, by design and by their their founding mission and their core identity, they are a resistance group whose first and primary aim is always to deter or resist Israel, and that means mm-hmm. that they can they can never be like, for example, Amal, another Lebanese Shia organization with militant roots that after 1982 or 1985 shifted to focusing on developing uh, uh, the Shia community and being a political entity. So Hezbollah's politics and development project is always secondary to its identity as a resistance group. And that means that even if there's peace along the border with Israel for 40 years, uh, they can't climb down and become uh, a normal civilian political party that, that it's 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 hardwired into the way they are, uh, and and this is why even uh, Lebanese and and others who are sympathetic to some aspects of, of Hezbollah's uh, project uh, find them a very problematic ingredient in in Lebanese politics yeah, yeah, and in the regional. Yeah, this cocktail. is true. But when you say deter, you know, they can deter Israel. Deter Israel from what? If Israel does not have a design in Lebanon. As well as they can do pretty much what they want to do in Lebanon. But they, but they, but they, they do. So, well, I mean, but as long as gonna, no, but as long as they are not challenging uh, Israel, so uh, the deterrence against Israel is not necessarily important because Israel has no desire to go. 
if, for example, Hezbollah but were to... I, I, the, premise that, of your, the premise of your question doesn't hold up. I mean, that, but, you, you assert that it's not true. Israel does have uh, all kinds of problematic positions on the Lebanese border, uh, water resources that it, this is, that it this is on. So this is, again, for, it, it's easy for you to say it doesn't have designs, but from an from a outside perspective, it absolutely does. What and other design? No, I mean, I, I mean I've been there looking at it. Is that water is not going to precipitate war between the two sides. Uh, tracks of land here and there is not going to precipitate war. What I'm saying is we have to look at Hezbollah doctrine. In, 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 if, for example, Hezbollah were to interfere or were to, to aid Palestinians and, and like they have been able say, to go to Syria, that is a different scenario altogether. Okay, look, the, but they are afraid to do that. Why are they afraid to get involved in the Palestinian struggle against Israel? At least not to any kind of extent that concerns the Israelis. So I'll make a quick point and then and then shift to to a more a more strategic lens. I mean the the what what you've what you've stumbled into is the the obvious reality that actually Hezbollah does not want to start a war with Israel, right? I mean they their behavior since two thousand and six shows that they are even when they carefully probe Israel's red lines from the Golan that they want to avoid outright war. Um, and and is why? Uh, because they, as you as you said, I mean, they wouldn't win it. And what would happen is, even if they had a a moral victory to their own constituents, they would be standing in the ruins of, of okay. Lebanese infrastructure and among right. lots of casualties. So uh, they don't want that. And I mean, the, I've written about this regularly over the years when it's come up. It it seems very clear when you analyze the behavior that 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 their tactical and strategic goal is to keep peace on that border. Um, at, while at the same time building this this infrastructure, uh, strengthening their their uh, you know becoming increasingly dominant, uh, and you know I I, I uh, you know insist on this language because Israel is is viewed as for good reason a destabilizing belligerent in its neighborhood. You you simply can't analyze it as. Uh, as a sort of neutral or, or, or harmless actor no, no, surrounded no, by... No, it's not. It's um, not. I'm talking but, specifically so, going back so, to the bilateral... So, so to go to the, the strategic question, what's the way out of this, right? And the way out of this uh, that everyone agrees on, even Hezbollah, although they, they will not cooperate with it, the way forward is that Lebanon's military becomes the actual provider of security in Lebanon, uh, and then you have a national military that patrols the border rather than uh, effectively Hezbollah patrolling the border while a, a weak UN mission, uh, you know, can keep track of who's, who's violating uh, the rules but can't do anything about it. Uh, so in, a, in a, a durable peace would involve security in Lebanon going to the Lebanese military. Um, and this is, uh, this is the, the piece of the puzzle that Hezbollah works very assiduously to thwart. Uh, because they know that uh, as soon as the Lebanese military is genuinely and de facto the provider that the, has the monopoly of security inside Lebanese territory, the biggest single raison d'etre for Hezbollah disappears uh, uh, because people do see Hezbollah as providing a check against another Israeli uh, aggression in the future. And if there were a Lebanese military that could do that, and by the way, more responsibly with political accountability in service, not just of one community's uh, interest, but of the whole nation's interests, that would be absolutely better for Lebanon, absolutely better for uh, regional yeah, yeah, security, yeah, yeah. and absolutely more stable. 
Uh, and Hezbollah doesn't want that because that would be that would spell their end uh, One, as a dominant actor. Uh, which means this is exactly what you, what you're saying. Which means their interest is to sustain their position in Lebanon to to a great extent the way it is today. They want to continue to strengthen that. They want to project themselves. In and, I think, and I think now actually they have even more to lose, right? So not just their that, dominant position in Lebanon, is, but their newfound status as, uh, you know, fair, a regional heavy. Exactly, uh, and they may not be able to live up to this kind of a new, uh, their um, ambitions to, to, further, to, to further expand their, their, their reach. And it's an so, important, sorry, and it's an important footnote uh, to keep in mind that, you know, although... It's wrong to understand Hezbollah as as some kind of Iranian pawn and proxy that has no uh, sort of agency of its own in the relationship. Nonetheless, uh, Hezbollah's reach would would amount to nothing without Iran's ongoing support. Exactly. So exactly. It, from one day to the next, if Iran changed its strategic calculus, which I, I, it's hard to imagine in the current formulation that happening, no. but if they were, it would be. I mean, you know, I I, I always remind people of what happened. Uh, in the 80s, when the the Christian parties in Lebanon were had huge, I mean, they they had standing armies, they had tanks, they had tax collection ministries. They they were not a state within a state; they were a state. Mm -hmm. um, and when they surrendered their weapons and integrated into into Lebanese government, they disappeared as an autonomous uh, a quasi. They just, they became political factions, mm -hmm. um, and it happened virtually overnight. And it's not to say they're not important anymore, but they. They never again had that kind of autonomy and authority, and Hezbollah knows that the same could happen to them. Oh yes, I mean, of course, that's why they're doing what they're doing. But I want to take it back to the relationship with Iran, and it's, and the relationship between Israel and Iran, in whichever, however, we want to define it. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a relationship enmity between the two sides, and Israel's concern, and I think that concern is somewhat exaggerated about what Iran can. Or cannot do as far as Israel is concerned. Like Hezbollah, Israel likes uh, to, to <laughs> exaggerate its enemies. Uh. Yeah, it's exaggerated enemies, and that is some, much of it is also for domestic consumption, uh, as you well know. But here, when you look at the three players, and there's the and and uh, and you project, you want to project what's going to happen in the future. I don't see foresee, I don't foresee Iran um, threatening seriously. Or challenging Israel militarily, not now and not for the foreseeable future, um, and hence, what role then Hezbollah is going to play in that equation? You see what I'm saying? That is today, as Iran, as we know it today, and perhaps for the foreseeable future, would be very concerned from what would what would what would Iran do to challenge Israel militarily? Where they're going to go with it? Given that there is no land contiguity, knowing the Israeli uh, formidable military uh, air force, potentially other weapons, so what I'm saying is, the connection Iran Iran Hezbollah Israel does not constitute today a serious threat. Hence, the deterrence that you're talking about is a problem misplaced. Yeah, I I, I probably tend to agree, uh, but. I mean, it's there, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, yeah. there's a lot of uh, potential problems uh, to analyzing this uh, and and to, and to sort of figuring out how it could play out. One one is just the perpetual 
potential for miscalculation in these kinds of yes. uh, yeah. scenarios. The second is, you know, if you're looking at the, that axis, uh, they're concerned not just with Israel, but with the United States and with Saudi uh, and its allies. Course, okay, so there's, yeah. so there's an array of, of hostile states from their perspective who are loosely aligned um, and who more than ever before are actively involved in um, fluid battlefields. Libya, sure, Syria, sure, Yemen, sure. Iraq to some extent. Uh, so this is all already in a way unprecedented um, in, in the past, even in periods in, in, in the 50s and 60s when there was conflict, the conflict was quite bounded. I mean, it, it lasted for a few weeks or months. Um, and uh, you know, if, if it was guerrilla warfare, it was also very limited by the standards of today. So these are huge scale uh, uh, battlefields, you know, we have Iranian scuds in Yemen being fired at, at the airport in, in Saudi Arabia. We have Israeli special forces potentially operating inside Syria against non-Syrian targets um, and Americans in Syria, in Iraq, so on, so forth. Uh, this, to me, creates a lot of potential uh, accidents. And also it creates um, uh, a lot of potential escalations. Now, I, I agree with your analysis that neither Iran nor Hezbollah nor the Syrian regime want to provoke an outright war with Israel or the United States uh, because they know that in an outright conflict, they, they lose. Uh, on the other hand, in the, certainly in the case of the United States, they're no longer sure how much the United States cares and what it cares about. Uh, so they are willing to test uh, uh, American commitments in ways they weren't before. This I think is dangerous. It is dangerous. And, 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 and lastly, okay, the, 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 when we go back to miscalculation, if you have Iranians and their allies building, let's say, hard missile infrastructure in the Golan on the Israeli border, even if they theoretically don't want to provoke uh, an outright conflict, these are provocative moves. It they is. could provoke an outright but, conflict. But, but are, if, if, only if you assume that Israel is going to watch it and do nothing about it before it is become viable. Uh, well, right, and, and, and so far, gonna, so far they happen. have effectively managed this they manage through, you know, through non-escalatory means. And, and the what, fact if, what if Russia puts in these air defenses that they're talking about? What if Russia stops well, allowing Well, Russia already Israeli is replacing S-300 in Syria potentially. So, so some of it is already there. One hopes that these are all sort of pieces of theater and that the, the, the underlying dynamics remain essentially geared towards not outright war. Exactly. What I'm saying then, that is when bring us back to where you started. There's a reason why, for example, Iran is not retaliating in all of these Israeli attacks. Some say it's nearly 200 of them over the last couple of years alone. Why Iran is not retaliating? Why Hezbollah is not retaliating? Knowing that all of this related to both of them. So there's a reason for all of that. Again, and I just want to say in terms of uh, the regional, you know, the, all the thing that you're talking about this is in an Arab-Muslim um, um, theater. It has not as yet really came into Israel. Israel is the one who's acting rather than... than and all of these weapons going to, to, to Hezbollah from Iran, yes, designed for, for many reasons, including perhaps preventing Israel or, or uh, you know, uh, creating some deterrence. But in the end of the day, it is all focused so far as being within the Arab theater, be that in Yemen, be that in Syria, be that in Iraq. And 
And as far as I'm concerned, I don't think that's going to be shifted in any significant way in the near future. And that's where the limitation of Hezbollah is going to, to, to stay. To, to, they will be limited to the extent to which they can, in fact, pose a significant threat uh, to, to, to I, Israel. For sure. And I mean, I, you know, fortunately, in this conversation, we're not, the language of existential threat is, it's, Silly. I mean, it doesn't not, exist. Know, it doesn't, doesn't apply here. Doesn't but apply. what? But what does apply? And 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 is it's an interesting and worthwhile question. Is uh, what is there a changing nature of the threat, and what is it? And I mean, we, you know, in the last ten years alone, Israel's posture towards its neighbors has changed in some ways for the better, in some ways for the worse. And Hezbollah's uh, set of interests and capabilities has also changed in ways that I find, I mean, wor- certainly worthy of study and of some policy concern. And one one of the things that um, that I look at is the the deep partnerships between Hezbollah and and parties it has helped establish with Iran in Iraq. So we have Hezbollah-like organizations that are now entering their mature phase. They're ten or fifteen years old. Uh, they view themselves as part of a like-minded alliance of Iranian-created messianic militant organizations. Now, I don't think that they pose an existential threat to anybody, nor do I suppose that they're about to take over the, the wider Middle East. Absolutely not. Uh, on the other hand, they're not nothing. They're, they're emerging as a significant player on a wider axis of, of countries. So at the end of 2020, we might have, uh, instead of just Hezbollah, we might have similar a similar organization to Hezbollah that has its own roots in, in Syria and another couple like it in Iraq. That changes the disposition, probably more of a, of a problem for uh, their host governments in, in Iraq and Syria and Lebanon uh, or for U.S. interests there than they are for Israel. Uh, but this this is a meaningful uh, a meaningful evolution that I think poses problems. Yeah, it, you know, but but you know, I think as as far as that goes, it's more on the defensive side than on the on the offensive side. Uh, I don't think the certainly for as, Israel, as, as, I think yeah. uh, it, it, it's, it's on the more of a defense rather than offense, and that's what they want to make sure. Now, as long as if Israel, however, does not have any design, like I said before then the, what is the likelihood there will be confrontation between the two sides unless it's accidental. And even if it's accidental, I, th- I think both people will think very carefully before allowing this to escalate to a point of no. I agree. And, I, and, 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 and my prediction would be that the Lebanese-Israeli border will remain quiet. And if there's going to be a conflict between Hezbollah and, Lebanon, uh, Hezbollah and Israel, it will be waged on Syrian territory and it will be limited uh, because both sides stand to I lose agree. far yeah. more than, than they imagine they could gain. I agree. I agree. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your podcast. No, thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. But yeah, I, I very much appreciate what you've said. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.